Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Supermax Inc. fourth quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to Daniel Saint-Marie, Investor Relations for Supremex. Thank you. Please go ahead, madam. Thank you, operator. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Danielle Saint-Marie. I'm an independent advisor and act in investor relations capacity for Supremex. With us today is Stuart Emerson, President and CEO, and Guy Preneuveau, Chief Financial Officer and Corporate Secretary. I would like to welcome you to today's conference call to discuss our financial and operational results for the fourth quarter and fiscal year ended December 31, 2020, which were released earlier today. This call will be held in English. J'aimerais vous rappeler que cet appel sera tenu en anglais. For a more detailed analysis of our results, please see our financial statements, our management discussion and analysis, and our press release disclosed earlier this morning and available on the company's website and on CDAR. In addition, we posted a presentation supporting this conference call, which is available through the webcast and on our website. I would like to remind listeners that this conference call contains forward-looking information within the meaning of applicable Canadian securities laws, and I refer the audience to the forward-looking statement as detailed in the presentation supporting this conference call. Furthermore, risks and uncertainties are discussed throughout the December 31, 2020 MD&A under the heading Risk Factors. Unless stated otherwise, all figures are expressed in Canadian dollars. During this call and on the accompanying presentation, we use various non-IFRS measures, including adjusted EBITDA and adjusted net earnings. These terms are also defined in our NDA. With these formalities out of the way, I would like to turn the call over to Stuart Emerson, President and CEO at Supremex, to review this period's key operational highlights. Stuart? I think Stuart is on mute. We, uh, Sorry. <laughs> we don't hear you, Sorry. Stuart. <laughs> uh, thank you, Danielle, and welcome, everyone. Um, I think it's fair to say that 2020 was quite an eventful year. I think at this point last year, um, none of us knew exactly what laid ahead or how radically our world would change. Uh, I certainly know I didn't. Uh, Supreme X uh, went from being a wind at our backs, uh, quick out of the gate, start across all of our lines of businesses in January and February, uh, with the prospects of closing on an acquisition of our largest Canadian envelope competitor to market chaos almost overnight. Um, I vividly remember those days, um, you know, a couple of weeks that were, were very active in terms of activating our uh, business continuity plans, the, the daily huddle-up calls, uh, building new activity-based KPIs, implementing aggressive health and safety measures, and actioning um, strong expense and capital containment measures, all while closing and integrating our largest acquisition in more than 30 years. 
through the pandemic, our, I think our entire team rose to the challenge, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of them and our partners for their contribution, their dedication, and their focus and hard work. You know, as a leader of the fairly large and diversified business, you wonder and worry about whether you've done the right things. Is the business stable? Is it diversified enough? Do we have the right people? Do we have the right culture? Is the business built to sustain the unknown? It can always be better, but we take some satisfaction in the way 2020 turned out. We are organized into five and a half lines of business, have 16 locations in Canada and the US, and roughly 850 employees, and I'm proud of what they were able to accomplish. We continue to diversify, we're quick to implement cost mitigation and capital preservation strategies, and focused on reimbursing debt which allowed us to finish 2020 in a stronger position. Consolidated revenues are up 6.7% to more than $200 million for the first time in our history. Adjusted EBITDA is up almost 28% and our balance sheet has been significantly delevered and we have already reimbursed a significant portion of the monies borrowed to acquire Royal Envelope in February 2020. Speaking of Royal, as I said, this acquisition represents our largest in the last 30 years, and it has proven to be highly accretive. Despite the integration challenges of working remotely, avoiding cross-contamination in a pandemic environment. Employees have embraced the change. We implemented the Supreme X ERP on July 1st. The Canadian envelope market has been supportive with attrition rates below anticipated levels. We've extracted synergies at or above the, what our hypothesis called for, and we are utilizing the additional capacity to support U.S. envelope growth. Together with the recent cost optimization plan announced in early December, we believe we have significantly extended the runway of the envelope platform, thereby protecting its earning power and cash flow generation capacity. On the packaging side, 2020 was an, was an impressive year for our e-commerce business and marked the significant improvement of our folding carton activities. As I said on the last call, none of our packaging business businesses were materially aided by the pandemic. We just don't participate in those segments in any meaningful way, but we are augmenting our offerings to capitalize on changing consumer behaviors, both in e-commerce and the transition away from single-use plastic packaging. The long selling cycle associated with our e-com offering produced a handful of higher volume, direct to brand e-tail customers that rewarded us with recurring and ongoing volume. As you would expect, we have a fairly robust pipeline in this space and the team is working feverishly to convert those prospects. Holding Carton experienced a dip in demand in the health and beauty business, primarily cosmetics and fragrances, but did a nice job offsetting those declines with new volume and supported e-commerce with cross-selling. The material gains in Folding Carton came primarily from meaningful improvements in operations, capitalizing on the 2018-2019 CapEx program, and we are now seeing margins in this segment beginning to trend back to historical and expected levels. On the capital allocation front, with the ongoing threat of the pandemic, we elected to pursue a conservative approach and suspended our quarterly dividends. Starting in the second quarter, and focused on returning shareholder value by deleveraging and repurchasing shares through the NCIB. 
With the pandemic ongoing, we are maintaining this approach and focusing our efforts to further improving operating efficiencies and building a stronger packaging platform to emerge with a stronger balance sheet and significantly improve cash flow generating capabilities. Now for a quick review of the fourth quarter 2020, fourth quarter results followed previous quarter trends with revenues up 11.1% and adjusted EBITDA up 37.5% over Q4 2019. Envelope revenues were 13.2% were up 13.2% from the contribution of the acquisition of Royal Envelope and from important market share gains in the United States, with, which compensated for the secular decline and a less favorable envelope mix during the pandemic. For more granularity, in the fourth quarter, we experienced a modest bounce back in envelope sales, primarily from resellers replenishing their inventory, from the Canadian census, and from residual vote by mail volume in the US. Looking ahead, I expect the envelope market to remain soft through Q1 and Q2. However, we continue to make good headway in the United States with increased activity and volumes trending higher, similar to what we've seen in the last few quarters. In my opinion, the continued U.S. growth speaks well to phase one of our diversification strategy launched in 2015. Our three operations in the U.S. have become increasingly proficient at using their local manufacturing capabilities to serve shorter run custom orders while leveraging their relationships to secure high volume orders to take advantage of the expertise, know-how, and capacity that we have in Canada. In the recent years, we have been better at working as a group. Uh, our operations north and south of the border are aligned and ready to grow in this sizable market where, as the third largest envelope manufacturer in North America, Supremex still only enjoys less than 5% market share. On the packaging and specialty product side, revenues were up 5.4%, primarily from e-commerce sales growth, and adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales almost tripled to 16.4% primarily due to sales gains and the significant improvements in the folding carton business. With respect to the Durabox corrugate die cut operations, we continue to be adversely affected by changing dining habits related to the pandemic and candidly continued challenges on the operations side. Some of it COVID related, some of it not. There is modest there is modest capex embedded in the 2020 numbers that are aimed at improving production efficiency and capacity. With the additional capex, we believe we are close to being able to have the confidence necessary in operations to support an aggressive approach in sales. I'd li now like to turn the call over to Guy for a review of our financial results. Guy. Thank you, Stuart. Good morning, everyone. Total revenue for the fourth quarter was up 11.1% to $54.6 million. Revenue from the envelope segment was up 13.2% or $4.8 million to $40.5 million. Canadian envelope revenue increased 15% or $3.6 million to $27.5 million from the contribution of the Royal Envelope acquisition. The COVID-19 pandemic had negative effect on non-essential envelope demand resulting in an average selling price decrease of 4.6%. Revenue from the U.S. envelope market grew by 9.7% or 1.1 million to 13 million from market share gains and the vote by mail initiative ahead of the U.S. elections. Average selling prices decreased by 2.9% from changes in the product mix, which includes a positive effects translation effect of 1.3%. 
Packaging and specialty products segment revenue grew by 5.4% to $14.1 million, primarily from new e-commerce customers onboarded in 2020. Fourth quarter EBITDA was $4.6 million, down from $6.8 million. A $2.8 million non-cash asset impairment charge was taken in the fourth quarter to account for lagging results in the corrugated die-cut box CGU, as explained earlier by Stuart. And a $1.8 million non-recurring restructuring expense was also taken as part of the December 2020 cost optimization plan. Adjusted EBITDA grew by 37.5% or $6.7 million to $9.2 million, resulting primarily from the Royal Envelope acquisition, higher e-commerce sales, growth in the U.S. envelope business, and a $1 million subsidy from the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy Program. Adjusted EBITDA margins increased to 16.9% of revenue compared with 13.6% in the fourth quarter of 2019. Envelope segment adjusted EBITDA was up 7.3% to $7.1 million from the acquisition of Royal Envelope, which provided higher sales volume and synergies in production and procurement. Adjusted EBITDA margins from the envelope segment stood at 17.5%, down from 18.4%. Packaging and specialty product segment adjusted EBITDA almost tripled to $2.3 million from $0.8 million in the fourth quarter of 2019, primarily from higher e-commerce sales and efficiency gains in the folding carton division. Adjusted EBITDA margins from the packaging and specialty products operations increased to 16.4% compared with 6% in the equivalent quarter of 2019. Q4 2020 net earnings were $0.3 million or $0.01 cents per share, compared with $2.3 million or $0.08 cents per share for the equivalent period of 2019. Adjusted net earnings were $3.7 million or $0.13 cents per share, an increase of 69.8% or $1.5 million, compared with $2.2 million or $0.08 cents per share during the fourth quarter of 2019. Moving on to fiscal 2020 results. Total revenue was up 6.7% to $204.6 million. Revenue from envelope segment was up 6.8% or $9.4 million to $146.5 million. Canadian envelope revenue was up 6.5% to $97.6 million from higher volume resulting from the acquisition of Royal Envelope, which compensated for the secular decline in the effect of the COVID-19 pandemic on non-essential envelope demand. Average selling prices decreased by 5.1% primarily from the resulting changes in envelope mix. U.S. envelope revenue increased by 7.5% or $3.4 million to $48.9 million from sustained market share gains and the vote-by-mail initiative ahead of the U.S. elections. Average selling prices decreased by 2.3% from changes in the product mix, including a negative effects translation effect of 1%. Packaging and specialty product segment revenue increased 6.5% or $3.6 million to $58.1 million, primarily from the onboarding of new e-commerce customers since Q2 2020. EBITDA for fiscal 2020 increased by 7.7% to $27.2 million. Excluding non-recurring charges taken in the fourth quarter of 2020, adjusted EBITDA grew by 27.9% or $7.1 million to $32.4 million from the acquisition of Roll Envelope, higher e-commerce sales, growth in the U.S. sample business, and a total of $1.9 million from the Canadian emergency wage subsidy. Adjusted EBITDA margins increased to 15.8%, which is up from 13.2% in 2019. Envelope segment adjusted EBITDA was up 10% or $2.3 million to $25.5 million, primarily from the acquisition of Royal Envelope. Envelope, uh, the envelope adjusted EBITDA margin stood at 17.4%, up from 16.9%.
Packaging and specialty product segment adjusted EBITDA increased by 83.9% or $4 million to $8.6 million from higher e-commerce sales and efficiency gain in folding carton. Packaging adjusted EBITDA margins increased to 14.7% compared with 8.5% last year. Fiscal 2020 net earnings stood at $7.5 million or $0.27 per share, up from net earnings of $7.1 million or $0.25 per share in fiscal 2019. Adjusted net earnings were $11.3 million, or $0.40 cents per share, up from $7.1 million, or $0.25 cents per share last year. Net cash flows from operating activities before working capital adjustment increased by $5 million to $24.5 million from higher adjusted net earnings. In August, the TSX approved the renewal of our NCIB. In 2020, we purchased a total of 305,700 common shares for consolidations for a total of $424,000. An additional 81,800 shares were purchased since the beginning of 2021 for uh, total considerations of $158,000. Total net debt stands at $56.8 million, a slight increase over our, our outstanding amount of $53.8 million entering fiscal 2020. As mentioned earlier by Stuart, the majority of the monies board to conclude the royal acquisitions have been reimbursed. I would now like to turn the call over to analysts for questions. Uh, operator? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Neil Linsell of IA Capital Markets. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, good morning, guys. Congratulations on uh, quite well in a tough environment. You beat my numbers. Um, if if I look at um, uh, we talk about product mix a lot as far as impacting you know whether revenue is up or down or profitability, and I'm just looking as we get in the Canadian envelope side as we now lap the royal uh, royal envelope acquisition, are we going to be looking at the you know we've got the same kind of secular decline environment that we had before, but. Does the product mix that you have on the envelope side really allow you to do better, or are you really at the mercy of the uh, uh, kind of Canada Post transactional volumes? Um, yeah, hi, Neil. Um, I, I'm not 100%. There were a couple questions sort of wrapped up in there, but I think the, the majority of the mix issue uh, or the mix piece was, um, you know, Essential mail was essentially the statement mail, um, and state, statement mail, generally speaking, is um, high volume, longer run, and smaller formats, um, and consequently come with a lower average selling price. Call it discretionary mail, are sort of the you know direct mail, higher uh, or you know smaller volumes, um, and and larger formats, and as a result, you know the that's the that's the business that sort of 
dried up, hopefully uh, short term. So that was the that was the driver of the average selling price decline or mix. Um, in general terms, Royals uh, volume and average selling price is or was and is lower than what premixes were because they tend to be a little bit more focused on um, direct end user relationships in sort of higher volumes. So it's a little bit of both. I think what we saw in 2020 was primarily driven by the essential mail versus discretionary mail, but on a go forward basis, um, Royals average selling price was lower than Supreme X's coming into the transaction. Okay. Um, yeah, that gives me a good context. And I'm also thinking about you, you went through a restructuring and, and cost saving initiatives at the end of last year. So are you pretty much done with everything that you're going to have to do to align your, your business costs to the environment or is this, is this going to be like a continual process every quarter or is it more we'll adjust every year a couple of years yeah it's more every every couple of years hopefully <laughs> not every year um, <laughs> the whole objective of you know the US the US strategy and that prong of the strategy is so that we don't have to adjust every year and um, that we continue to backfill um, Canadian secular decline with U.S. growth, um, so that we're not going through it every year. Um, you know, the Western Canada market got pretty, um, you know, got pretty small fairly quickly um, as as volume moved east, primarily um, of the major mailers. But the whole objective of the the U.S. strategy is oversell the U.S. footprint and produce it in Canada to keep uh, utilization rates high. And in the U.S., um, you seem to be – Sorry, on the project, I mean, uh, on the project, we're moving along extremely well. We've done some, some good things in a small operation in Moncton. Um, we're basically done in, in central Canada, and you know, we will be out of the Edmonton facility by the end of the third quarter this year. So we're moving along. We're right on target. Right. So for additional, you know, restructuring expenses, should we continue to see those through Q1, Q2, uh, in addition to, so I'm trying to figure out the one-time expenses and charges. And so you've got perhaps more restructuring expenses, which will be recognized. And uh, what about government assistance payments? Uh, Guy, do you want to take that? Sure. Um, as far as the government assistance program, of course, we, we will keep monitoring this. It, we, um, it, it depends on the performance that we achieve as far as sales. As you know, Neil, so if there's a revenue uh, is maintained or growing, we're not eligible to it, but we keep monitoring it. Uh, it will be less. There's no doubt that the amounts will be less substantial than what we've had in uh, Q3 and Q4. Um, and the first question was what, again, uh, Neil? Uh, restructuring expenses or anything that yeah. we should expect in Q1, Q2. Oh, so, so the uh, the expense that we took in the adjustment you saw is uh, basically a, a provision for the, uh, the costs that will come in Q1, Q2. So that will go against the provision, but we we will um, the the uh, benefit of the restructuration, the cost reductions 
most of it will be achieved by the end of Q2, uh, the run rate. So we'll see the benefits uh, next year uh, gradually, but most of it will be achieved. Q1, Q2 will be achieved, the bulk of it. Right, good. Um, okay, and just in the packaging, we talk about this, I think, every quarter. Um, as far as, you know, it's it, it seems very lumpy sometimes. Um, as there's a longer lead time, uh, I guess, on building up some of these customers and some of these projects. So what does that packaging side of the business look like as far as pipeline opportunities? And, you know, is are, are there kind of one-off projects in there that run a certain number of months or is pretty much everything on a kind of continuous or recurring revenue expectation? Uh, the short answer is all of the above, but um, a lot of the lumpiness really stemmed from a couple of, uh, from the you know attrition of a couple of customers uh, that we've talked about. One in particular, you know, sort of through 2019, you know, hockey stick up, hockey stick down, um, and the uh, customer concentration piece. We've we've done um, a better job and a nice job of sort of reducing the customer concentration concentration. Um, but these are ongoing sort of weekly, monthly programs um, that, you know, are sort of positioned to run for on an ongoing basis as opposed to sort of one-off, um, you know, two, three uh, orders and then out the door. Um, and the pipeline is, you know, we're, we're very focused on um, you know, very specific sort of target market, uh, you know, Tailors that uh, do monthly subscriptions. A lot of what, a lot of that commerce revenue is sort of monthly subscription based. So you just have recurring. Um, they have a recurring need, and you have recurring revenue, assuming you can hang on to the account. The lumpiness was, you know, and maybe exacerbated a little bit by the pandemic on the on the folding carton side with. As you can imagine, not a lot of perfume and you know makeup and mascara being used. Uh, in 2020. So, uh, I know you're not you don't have the same kind of leverage to e-commerce as far as you're not making boxes for for Amazon shipments or or what have you. But are you seeing any kind of fundamental shifts from the customers that you are dealing with as far as you know, we are looking at more online. We expect this to stay significant even if it drops off a little bit as people get back into the malls. Um uh, I'm just wondering, like, what's what's your sense from your 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 customers as far as are we going to see an acceleration of this growth, or have we seen kind of a you know a bump and we're going to get to some kind of more normalized lower growth level? Oh, I um, so a couple of it's it's a little bit like our U.S. envelope business. I mean, uh, you know, are we really impacted by sort of with our small market share? Are we really materially impacted by? Um, you know, sort of day-to-day -day activity. I mean, there's there's lots of room for us to grow even within a um, a flat commerce market. Um, there are there are lots of opportunities out there for us to grow. Um, but with our with our e-tailers and with our sort of mon monthly subscription-based customers, you know, they continue to take on new customers. Almost on a on a regular basis as their brands become better known and marketing um, marketing initiatives start to take hold, and so we continue to see you know the requirements on a monthly monthly basis grow. Um, you know, 
just putting it out there, you know, we've we've been um, you know the growth has led to a little bit of capacity constraint on the um, on the e-commerce side that uh, that we're trying to address, and um, you know that's I wouldn't say hampered us, but it's it's made the climb a little bit uh, a little bit steeper for us. Okay. And on the M&A side, obviously, with the Royal Envelope behind you, um, the U.S. Envelope is doing well. Would you consider, say, U.S. Envelope on the West Coast type acquisition or uh, anything more on the packaging side that could really complement what you're doing? Is, is there any, are there any active discussions uh, you have? Yeah, so categorically, I mean, never say never, but, um, you know, our, our thrust in the U.S. Envelope is – really been around offsetting um, secular decline in the Canadian operations and you know the hub of the Canadian operations are Toronto and Montreal we don't have a ton of excess capacity in in Western Canada um, so not a lot of you know synergies or we wouldn't really be a strategic buyer in you know West Coast US so uh, highly unlikely that we would pursue anything um, uh, on the West Coast and there's sort of nothing in uh, U.S. envelope even in the east. Um, you know, on the packaging side, you know, I talked a little bit. We're we're constrained uh, in a few areas, particularly on the e-commerce side. Um, you know, uh, we would look at opportunities uh, both on the capital side and you know a small tuck-in on the um, on the M&A side to support um, what we think is a great growth opportunity on the e-commerce side even if we're in a niche part of the market we think it's a significant opportunity for us with a little bit of additional capacity okay uh and one last question you know we always or for years we've been talking about this long-term target of 50 50 uh, envelope to to packaging revenue um any idea what long-term means within that context Yes, yeah, so we were we were well on our way, and you know thought we could be there in um, another a couple of years, and then we added you know thirty million dollars worth of revenue with Royal um, on the envelope side, which sort of pushed the bar a little bit higher. Um, you know our our objective is um, you know, from a strategic plan standpoint is about three or four years out, without you know without a transformative acquisition on the packaging side, which. Not in the uh, not in the works today. Okay. okay, that's it for me. So congratulations on the good finish of the year. Great, thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. Um, uh, so, just to summarize, I'd say that you know the team did an outstanding job, and and we ended 2020 in a significantly stronger position. Uh, we successfully integrated our largest acquisition in recent history. Um, we managed the effects of the pandemic on our balance sheet, and we ended the year with a conservative level of debt. Our teams demonstrated le- our teams demonstrated leadership at every level of the organization to see us through a year nobody saw coming. Um, continuing to safeguard the well-being of our employees and our customers remains our number one priority. We're highly focused on further improving operational efficiencies and growing sales in both segments of our business. We have capacity and know-how, and we operate many of the businesses in high-growth markets, and we dominate others. I believe that the strong results, specifically in the last three quarters, in the middle of an unforeseen crisis, demonstrates the resiliency of our business model and benefits of diversification. We are emerging stronger and better from 
our lessons learned from the last two years. We continue to remain cautious with our capital allocation, prioritizing debt reimbursement, and when, and when possible, purchasing shares. Our long-term strategy remains the same. Manage the effects of secular decline on the envelope operations by steadily growing market share in the U.S. and continuing to grow packaging businesses in Canada and the U.S. with the ultimate goal of re remaining at achieving a 50-50 revenue split between envelope and packaging in the foreseeable future. This completes my closing remarks, and I look forward to our AGM and discussing our first quarter results in May. Thank you very much. Take care and be safe, everyone. Thank you. And this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.